Welcome back to DMnastics, the gym for dungeon masters to work out their minds. I'm one of your hosts, DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac, and I have a very special co-host. I say that because, as always, they're going to have to do as much work as I do, and I will let them introduce themselves. Hi there, I'm uh, Richard Baker, uh, game designer and author. Uh, you might know me from things like Princes of the Apocalypse, the Primeval Fool campaign setting, and more recently, the alternative science fiction role-playing game. And if you pick up a book from third edition, it's probably got his name on it. <laughs> so we're going to be tying back to episode 108, World Building the Skies, which of course featured you, Rich Baker, because that's the one you guessed it on. And that's what I always do is invite the guests back if they are free. And we're also going to tie back to DMnastics number 90, Moons Over Dayimbe, which is actually a really interesting reference to Moons Over Miami from Denny's. Yeah, I saw so, that. There we go. That happened. Uh, <laughs> and so for this one, i that's all it was. The world of Dayambe that the forum has been creating over all this time, I wanted to toss some moons into the sky and see what came up of it. And the idea was kind of a three-bodied system was kind of the thing that got tossed out. So as always, we're going to highlight something from the forums and kind of the thing that we're going to highlight is that DM Genesis Act found a video of a of someone that had done all the math for how a three-bodied system could exist. So essentially all three things, you know, the planet if you will and two moons or however you want to shake that down existed with about the same gravity and they all orbit themselves in very interesting patterns. The interesting thing I kind of looked at when I first saw that was kind of wondering to myself, uh, you know, what's the point of having, you know, interesting moons in the sky if you don't have to let your player characters go to them? And in that case, how do the different alignments of the moons influence travel to and from the planets or the, the, the different bodies, right? I mean, is it possible that in some arrangements you can't get there from here? And in other arrangements, so that it's like, okay, so there might be periods of time where, hey, it turns out for, you know, the next two weeks you can go back and forth to moon a because we have a teleportation effect with uh, a hundred thousand mile range and it turns out that it's not within a hundred thousand miles you can go there and come back but now for the rest of the month it's going to be more than that distance away so now i can't get back from here from here right that there might be either magical tra travel restrictions or physical travel restrictions like if you have a spelljammer type vessel that can only spend about oh two or three days out of uh out of atmosphere before it runs out of oxygen you know the voyage might be too long at certain times, certain arrangements, and it might be, you know, a voyage you can make when the moons happen to be close to each other or close to the parent planet. Yeah, definitely. Because so, okay, so I'm going to admit that I spent way too much time with this YouTube video, <laughs> um, and I'll, I'll link it in the show notes just to kind of figure out like all the different, like exactly what you're saying, the permutations of like where the planets are in relation to each other. So essentially just to give you a super basic rundown to get an image in your mind, there's one that I would consider the planet rotating in a circle on the outside. And then there are two, which I would consider the moons kind of spiraling around each other on the inside. And there is definitely times where one moon is very far away comparatively and then there's times where both are very far away. And then like you're saying, there are specific times where they're very close. I mean, I say that with, it's all relative, but I could totally see it like, okay, you can go to A and you go, can go to B, but, and then once you get on A or B, you can easily transfer between the two of them because how close they are. Oh, I really, I really like that. Oh, teleportation and spell jammer. But then I got terrified of your spell jammer idea. Cause it's just like, 
okay, we barely miscalculated. Now we died in the cold vacuum of space. <laughs> Reminds me of the short story, The Cold Equations, if you've, ever, if you've ever read it. I forget the author, but it's a it's a pretty grim story. Well, now I'm going to have to go read it, and then I'm going to be even more terrified of the Spelljammer idea. So, <laughs> like I said, there wasn't a ton that we could showcase, so... Rich and I decided that we're going to just jump right into it and make a moon together. And we're going to lift those mental weights right now. All right. Lifting weights is what I do. Look at me. Lift these weights. Okay. So I don't know how easy this is for you, but for me, it always feels difficult. And we'll start right out the gate. What in the world are we going to name this thing? Wow. <laughs> I, I sometimes find it's easier to, to give it a working name and then come back to the polishing up okay. the name. We actually know a little bit more about it, right? So I'm, I'm perfectly fine with calling it Alpha for the moment. And with the idea of, okay, when we know a little bit more about this, and we'll come up with, with something that's got a bit of a, a more mythic resonance. Done. But, you know, God knows the number of times I was in long, long, long meetings at TSR, which is in the coast, where we were trying to come up with names for things. <laughs> and that haven't been used. Yeah, or they haven't been used or just sounded right. Mm. You know, oh, goodness. I appreciate your, your willingness to jump in on, on a name, but maybe we just set that aside for a moment until we know a little bit more about what we're doing. Done. I have Alpha Moon written down. So the size relative to our own moon. Although I feel like we've if we're using this three-bodied system, we're kind of locking ourselves into a pretty specific size. Yeah, uh, and I think it's okay, right? I mean, and you're really talking about one campaign setting, one campaign world spread across three planets when you're if they're all more or less about the same size because you're not gonna have a lot of variation in gravity or and if the moons are dead and barren there's probably not a lot of reason to go there right so you think that they're about earth size or diambi size and about diambi composition in terms of they have an atmosphere you can probably breathe Mm -hmm. um they have something on them that might be alive because otherwise they're kind of not terribly interesting yeah, so I agree. So number two and number three, the size and the gravity is pretty much going to be the same. The The interesting thing I thought was, are there certain things that we could tweak with the atmosphere that would be just enough to make it interesting, but not uninhabitable? So the first one I thought of was to increase the oxygen level in the air, because I know there's the whole oxygen bar thing and it makes you lighter, makes you feel better, makes you do all these things and just like one world could just be like a happier world because there's so much oxygen in the air. Forest fires would be way more dangerous. Yeah, that's also what I thought. And very dangerous. Yeah. You could reflect that in game terms by having fire effects go off better. You know, plus uh, plus one point of die per damage on fire effects or double damage dice on fire effects if you want to be really gonzo. Yeah. Worlds that have an atmosphere that are not quite optimal for you. So maybe it's like you're always, uh, there's actually a crazy, the, the science of uh, partial oxygen pressure, right? That you might have something that, that is about the same density as our air, but the oxygen content is low enough that you're having a heck of a time catching your breath. Mm. If you wanted to, to toughen it up, it could be a place where you have to make endurance checks or you have to apply high elevation rules, even if you're not really at, at altitude. Ooh. Or maybe the atmosphere is just even a little bit thinner, right? So the high elevation rules could be there because there is actually physically less air. You are at high elevation, effectively, at sea level. And then if you get on top of the peaks, you might be in near vacuum. Yeah, and then definitely playing into some of the, like you said, the endurance checks and then exhaustion rules and stuff like that a little bit more 
either easily or harshly, if that makes sense. You know, normal things will get you exhausted and it's harder to get back out of that. So you have to do all the right things to make sure you don't um, don't die. That's on. <laughs> That's all there is to that story. Do the right things so you don't die. If the air is thin at sea level and it's virtually unbreathable at any kind of elevation, then you essentially get this crazy world where you have essentially islands of breathable air in valleys that are virtually inaccessible oh, oh, because yeah. the, the job of getting over a high ridge from one valley to the next it's a geographical barrier, right? It's a, it's a thing that, that would isolate different areas and make different ecosystems evolve because they can't communicate with each other across a high elevation that is effectively a dead zone because there's no way to cross it without, you know, serious magic. Yeah, and I like the idea of the you know, and this kind of goes into the composition of the surface. If we're looking more at this one with less oxygen and using that kind of almost as like the reverse of you know, in sea versus land and having a lot of mountains for whatever reason on this planet where there's only these very specific paths that you can travel. Or then, like you said, you have to do these very crazy things to get over the mountain to be able to go to the next, essentially, oxygen island. Oh, man, you'd get super messed up going through because <laughs> now I, but it seems scary, too, in some way, because you're stuck in this crevasse where it's already kind of scary, kind of dark. And then you're just trying to travel through these very narrow passageways at times. You know, what kind of ambush or population of creatures exist there? Or even creatures that can exist more in that vacuum come down, hit you, and then run off. Yeah, the interesting thing about that is, uh, in a lot of ways, it would make the landscape into a giant dungeon, right? That, mm. that a dungeon, a physical dungeon underground, it channels you into paths and rooms, and you can't cross between the paths of the rooms generally, right? So... In a way, you would draw a mountain range and you'd be able to treat it and treat the valleys and, and low-lying areas almost as like rooms or, or corridors in a dungeon and say, yeah, you can go through here, but you, you can't just hop from this valley to the next valley. You really do have to follow the path and take the branches that are laid out before you by, in this case, nature. And there you know, might be places that physically are only three or four miles away across a ridge, but you would have to go hundreds of miles to actually find the path that would let you get back over there without having to try to cross a relatively airless space. Yeah. It's really interesting because it's almost like taking the Underdark and putting it on the surface of a world. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you think about it, then theoretically everything that's underground is possibly more inhabitable if there is even underground space on this world. Yeah, exactly. Right. The, the, the There's an interesting uh, uh, phenomenon in a couple of the very high capitals in South America. When I want to say like, perhaps uh, La Paz in uh, Bolivia, where in general around the world, uh, rich people live on, on top of hills and poor people don't live on top of hills, right? That's a general rule yeah. throughout the cities in the world. In La Paz, it's the reverse case because La Paz is at 10,000 feet. Ooh. And so yeah. the poorer you are, the higher you have to live and the worse your air quality is. Oh, wow. Right? So the rich people in La Paz live at the lowest elevations. Huh. It's really, it's really, really interesting. interesting. I don't want to go there, though, because 10,000 feet sounds awful. <laughs> you know, I, I've crossed the Rockies at like nine or 10,000 feet once or twice, and, you know, just like in a car. And, man, it kills me. I figured out that my altitude tolerance is about 7,500 feet. Anything over that, and I am feeling it. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, because I've been at seven for extended periods of time, but not much higher than that. Oh. So then the question, of course, is not necessarily has it been visited, but who has it been visited by? Because, you know, if we're talking about having the players there, because that's the whole purpose, I'm trying to think of, yeah, who who do we think would live in this crazy world that we've created now? One thing that we could do is 
undead or other things that don't breathe wouldn't care that much about the elevation. Mm-hmm. That would be particularly scary in that in that world. No, I like that a lot. And that could be, I mean, that could be partially why things are the way they are in the world. And then it is, you know, and you could have, oh uh, yeah, as soon as you said undead, it's just like it unlocks so many different ideas because it could just be travelers that have been there. Now they're undead. It could just be an entire race that existed and now they're undead because of what happened to the world. You know, because in theory, the whole thing could have been populated previously and now it is <laughs> no longer populated. Perhaps the atmosphere was destroyed or, or badly damaged by some catastrophic ancient spell or curse, right? The, you know, from Greyhawk, right? The rain of colorless fire, right? The, mm-hmm. you know, the invoked devastation. Something like that happened a couple thousand years ago where a powerful empire got too big for its britches and they burned off half their atmosphere with a magic spell uh, for some reason. Maybe uh, they were involved in a war. Maybe they were trying to become gods they did something silly and hubris and that is the reason that the world was damaged the way it was it made immediately made me think of going back to the world that had too much oxygen as like the base for this and then someone did something crazy like you're saying the rain of colorless fire and now all the oxygen except these little pockets are what's left over well, I mean, if nothing else, it kind of suggests the space ball scenario, right? That the world that's got too much oxygen just took it from the one that doesn't have enough. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. That would be a super weird thing, too. If the two that are, like, rotating near each other, if there was somehow some sort of transfer of the amount of oxygen on somewhat, like, an interval base. Sure. I mean, if you have, like, you could imagine, like, uh, if you have magical gates, like teleportation ar- archways or something, and... Uh, when the worlds come close to each other, the gates open and winds can blow from one world to the other. Mm. Or even the, the, if you're in a space that's close enough, the worlds might be close enough to actually brush atmospheres and exchange atmospheres. There's a, uh, there's an old story. I want to say the author is Hal Clement. That uh, might not be Hal Clement, but it's Roche World is the name story. And it's about twin planet that its two bodies are close enough that they can just about exchange water between their oceans. The idea oh, wow. is on the uh, the concept of the Roche limit, which is how close two bodies can can be to each other before the the larger body destroys the smaller one through tidal, and that something like fluid, like a big bulge of water, would be drawn up enough, you know, would be drawn towards each other enough that you might actually be able to to swim from one planet to the next. Wow, that's super cool. Yeah, and it's exactly like you said. If they're close enough, that could be another means of travel too um, between the two planets. Is essentially flight because they're close enough. Or, <laughs> or sailing, yeah. Yeah, exactly what I was thinking. I was just imagining like, okay, okay, I think this is the right spot. Uh, and then you just kind of start floating off to the next planet. Oh, yeah, those are super cool. I'm wondering is it, what kind of intelligent creature we could tag in here to just a, well, no, I mean, if we're going to go undead, then I definitely want liches. Because if we're also going to use kind of that concept of the reason this happened is because of magical hubris and now you kind of blew up your planet, then I think liches would be a really interesting way to do it, but then also kind of have a scale you know, so that your players could essentially interact with this before before being you know, in that higher level, but essentially have an area where like everyone that had a magical affinity has now been turned into some level of lich and it's all just based off of their magical power before death. Yeah, so people just had a tiny little glimmer of magical power are just like little bitty baby liches, so mm-hmm. to speak, you know, and just, ah, it was, it was a two-hit-die lich, right? I mean, wasn't that tough? 
<laughs> yep. But uh, yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, that poor guy that had only like learned how to cast light just to make his life easier, but now he's stuck as a lich on this world. Well, I think that'll do it for us. I think we came up with a pretty interesting idea for a world. So then the question is, throwing it all the way back to the beginning, have either of us come up with a name for this planet? Well, I mean, since in a way we're talking a lot about air and wind, I'm inclined to go with something like Aeolus, right? Or something that, you know, or Atheros, something that kind of suggests atmosphere, winds, atmosphere, things of that nature. Or even something that's kind of more, you know, if the gates open and allow winds to equalize from one over-atmospheric world to the other, you would have huge winds blowing on occasion, right? So you might have a descriptive name like Tornadoes or uh, Tornadoes or mm-hmm. Hurricos or something like that, right? That you would, you know, the players hear that name and they'll think, okay, that's the hurricane world. I kind of get that. Yeah. I really like the idea of the Hurricos because that's the first thing I thought when you said this gate opens up because you know, and it's like when you have, mm, nope, that's a really difficult thing to explain. It's really only, <laughs> it's <laughs> only for me because it's like, that's a very specific scenario that only happens in my life. But you essentially you have that shifting of too much over here, too little over here. Usually when you have like hot air in one room and cold air in another and you're like, you yeah. get doors slamming and stuff like that. That's essentially the thing that I think would happen as soon as these gates open. If you were too close, you're going through. Like, there's nothing you can do about that. Yeah. Instantly, a massive storm system on both the planet that was losing the air and the planet that was receiving the air, right? Yeah, and even with that, it could be such an interesting thing if the second planet is, what do I want to say, inhabited by more intelligent creatures, but they know that a huge influx of undead and these crazy storm systems are going to happen every x amount of years yeah absolutely that's pretty cool that's fun <laughs> oh we just we just made hold on though i feel like we just made zombie tornadoes uh <laughs> so zombie nato yep zombie nato how that hasn't happened in today's world of movies and things i don't know and when someone steals this idea and makes the movie don't forget to credit us uh for it <laughs> so with that with zombie natos i think we've we've definitely done it so the big question I have for you, though, is where can people go to find out everything you're doing here on the Internet and all the cool stuff that they could check, check out. out? I would say uh, look for me on Facebook. I'm going to be trying to uh, actually do a little bit of sorting out and organizing a, a honest to gosh. Follow me on Facebook type page here shortly. But uh, yeah. also uh, keep an eye on Sasquatch Game Studio. Uh, you can follow Sasquatch Game Studio on uh, Facebook because uh, obviously we do a lot of stuff with our alternative there, for example. Cool. Well, and then for us. If you want to send us an email, you can always do it at dmnastics at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at dmnastics or me personally at Jotmoniac. And for everything else on our network, you can always head over to blockpartypodcastnetwork.com. But above all of that, I want to implore you, the listener, to join our forums and take part in these exercises and challenges as well as all of the other amazing conversations being had. So to do that, head on over to dungeonmastersblock.freeforums.net and try some DMnastics so your players don't ask, do you even lift? Oh, I could barely lift my right arm because I did so many. I don't know if you heard me counting, I did over a thousand. Just watch out for the guns. They'll get you. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>